can help everybody to be attentive, help people not to be distracted, help people not to be a distraction. And Lord, I just ask you to help each and every one of us as we look at these scriptures. In your precious name I pray, amen. Alright, well we're there in Genesis chapter number 15, and look at verse number 1. Moses, put your foot down please, son. Thank you. Appreciate it. Genesis 15.1, the Bible says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, if you go back just real quick to Genesis 14 and look at verse 21. We spent a couple of weeks in Genesis 14, but just look at Genesis 14, look at verse 21. The Bible says, And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to the shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldst say, I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, uh, Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So if you remember from Genesis 14, I'm not going to go through it, we spent enough time there, but Abram comes back from this battle, comes back with all these riches, tithes to Melchizedek, he then later takes that, uh, you know, that stuff, and the king of Sodom says, hey, you can keep all the stuff, just give me the persons. Abram says, you can have your stuff. He said, I'm not even going to take a shoe latchet. He said, I don't want you to say that you've made Abram rich. Now, the first verse of, 15, uh, of chapter number 15, God says, Abram, I am thy shield and thy, great, or and thy exceeding great reward. You know, when you give up the world's rewards, you get God's rewards. And you know, the thing with that is that God's rewards are a lot better than the world's rewards. You know, Abram could have easily kept that uh, money, and he could have easily kept those riches, and he could have, you know, just been more wealthy and been more popular, and, and maybe made an alliance with the king of Sodom, become, had more friends, but he chose, you know, to do that, which seemed to be, you know, just weird. You know, uh, the Bible tells us, the Bible doesn't tell us that, that Aner and Eshcol and Mamre, that they didn't take the money. I mean, it seems like the right thing to do, or the normal thing to do, would be to just go ahead and take that money. But when Abraham just he said, look, you, I, I'm going to refuse, I'm sorry, Abram at this time, his name hasn't been changed yet. But when Abram says, I'm going to refuse the world's riches, I'm going to refuse the world's money, and I'm going to just, you know, I don't want the world to say that they, they, I don't want them to be able to say they have anything over me. They have not made Abram rich. And he said, you know, keep your money. And, and he just said, "My, I, I'm going to just trust God. I'm going to love God. And God comes to him. The very next verse is, hey, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And you know, that ought to be uh, uh, something that, that, that uh, gives you joy or that, that helps you, you know, to realize. Because a lot of times in Christianity, we feel like we're missing out on something. You know, just like... You know, we were preaching this morning about sacrificing yourself and bringing yourself as a sacrifice to God. And a lot of times when you do that, what happens is when you sacrifice yourself and you bring yourself to God, you miss out on a lot of the things that the world, quote unquote, has for you. And many times, you know, children or as young people growing up in Christianity, you might think, oh, I'm missing out on all the fun that these people are having. I'm missing out on all the things that these people are having. But the thing is that these people have the world's riches, but here's what they don't have. Here's what the world doesn't have. God as their shield and God as their exceeding great reward. And you say, well, what is, what is so important about God being your reward and God being your shield and God being your riches as opposed to the world being your reward or the world being your riches or the world being uh, uh, providing that for you? And you find that in verse number 2. Look at verse 2. Genesis 15, 2. The Bible says, And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless. Now you see, you see there? 
God said, I'm your exceeding great reward. And this is what Abraham says, God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. That word steward there is referring to the fact that the, the, the guy who's kind of running uh, things for Abraham in his house, the main guy, see, the, the steward of his house should be his son. And he says, the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. You know, one of those trained servants that we preached about. And he says in verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. So see, what happened was, there was a guy, this Elias of Damascus, I'm sure he's a real good guy, I'm sure he's a real nice guy, and, and Abraham chose him, he said, You're going to be my steward, he said, You're going to be my heir, he said, I don't have a child, so you're going to be like my son, and if I die, you know, you will get everything that I own, and I'm sure it was Elias' job to also take care of Abraham in his old age, and to take care of Sarah in their old age, and when Abraham and Sarah died, I'm sure it would have been uh, Eliezer's job to make sure they had a proper burial, and, and, and uh, the reward for that would have been his heir. But Abraham says to God, he says, God, I go childless. Now here's the thing. You say, Abraham, why wouldn't you take Sodom's riches and choose God to be your great exceeding reward? But here's the thing. You know, as, as we grow up as young people or teenagers, and even as adults, you know, peer pressure is for everybody. You know, the world makes itself out to be this thing that we need. The world shows us these things we feel that we need. We feel like we need the world's friends. And we feel like we need the world's company. We feel like we need the world's alcohol. We feel like we need the world's drugs. And we feel like we need the world's music. We feel like we need the world's friendship. We feel like we need the world's, uh, the world's money. But here's the thing. There are things that a human being has in their, in their heart that they feel like they need. And I'm not talking about sinful things. I'm talking about real, honest things that a human being needs in their heart that they long for and they want to, to bring joy to their life that the world cannot and will never be able to offer. Does that make sense? In the Bible, you find all over the scriptures, I mean, multiple stories where people are crying out to God. And a perfect example of this is somebody who go, has gone child, you know, without having a child their whole life. Abraham is an older man at this point in his life, and he's never had a son. And when God says, Abraham, I'm your exceeding reward, Abraham calls out to God, he says, God, I'd like a son. Now here's the thing, the riches of Sodom could never give him that son. The riches of this world could never give him that son. And hey, you can't tell you, Rebecca Moses, look up here. This world is going to offer you things. This world is going to promise you things. This world is going to try to tell you, hey, you're going to have joy when you listen to this music, this worldly uh, music. You're going to have joy if you uh, uh, get into these relationships that you should not be getting into when you're not married. The world's going to tell you, Satan's going to tell you, I can offer you money, I can offer you wealth, I can offer you success, I can offer you popularity, I can offer you something. But look, there comes, some, there comes a time in your life when there's a void in your heart that this world success will not fulfill. The money from this world will not be fulfilled. The popularity of this world will not be fulfilled. Go down and talk to whatever movie star or whatever actor or whatever successful person who has every all the friends they could want. They have all the money they could want. They have all the riches they could want. They have all the luxuries they could want, but they have voids in their heart. And that's why they get on pills. That's why they get on drugs. That's why they commit suicide. That's why they're a bunch of drugs. That's why they're just, you know, strung out on all these drugs and this alcohol. Why? Because there's a void that no one can fulfill except God. And when Abraham said, hey, I gave up the riches of Sodom, but God can 
can give me something that Sodom, that this world can never give me. And for Abraham, that was a son. Maybe for you it's not a son, but you know there's joy, there's love, there's friendship. There are things that God can give you and that Christianity can give you that this world can, just cannot give you. The friends of this world are not friends. I don't know if you understand that. The friends of this world are not friends. You ought not have friends that aren't Christians, period. You know, and, and you kids, I'm telling, I'm telling the kids because a lot of times, you know, you're going to grow up and I'm trying to train you and show you how you, you know, the friends of this world are not friends. Ask Jonah how the friends of the world work out. As soon as a storm comes, what happens? They throw them off the ship. You know, those kind of friends you want, those aren't the kind of friends I want. But you know what, this, the, the, world that the, the friends that this world give you aren't friends at all. They're going to lead you in the wrong way. They're, because there's things that God can give you that this world cannot give you. And Abraham was saying, God, I know, because he could have had riches, he, but that wouldn't have fulfilled the void. Abraham was already rich. Do you, you understand that? Abraham already had money. Abraham was already taken care of. Abraham already had 318 trained servants. Abraham already had everything he wanted. He could have gone to the world and got more of it, but there still would have been a void. Because what did Abraham long for? He wanted a son. And he knew, hey, God is the only one that can give me that. God is the only one that can give you a son. Look at verse 5. Genesis 15, 5. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou shalt be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Now, when he said there, look now toward heaven, he said, and tell the stars. That word tell there, that's an old, older word. The, the, the root word of that word tell is it's like the same, you know, it's like our modern day word teller. It has to do with counting. It has to do with numbering. When he said tell the stars, he's saying number the stars. He's saying, you know, try to count all the stars. He said, if thou be able to number them. That's exactly what he said. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Now, if you, you remember, God already gave uh, Abraham what we call the Abrahamic covenant in, uh, in, in earlier chapters. And we preached the whole sermon on that. I'm not going to go into that. But he's reminding Abraham about this Abrahamic covenant. But if you remember, there was two parts of the Abrahamic covenant. There was an earthly promise. He said, your descendants will be as the sand of the seed. And then there was a heavenly promise, which was the... Uh, Represented by the stars there. The physical, his physical line, you know, uh, his physical son, and then the, the Jewish people were represented by the sand of the sea there. And then the spiritual descendants, which would be us, which would be Christians who believe on Jesus Christ, were represented by the stars there. When God brings this up to uh, Abraham again, notice he puts the emphasis... On the heavenly. He doesn't even mention the, descent, the, the, the physical descendants. I mean, but he said to him, he said, uh, and he brought him forth the broad and said, uh, look now toward heaven. Well, actually, um, look at verse 4. In verse 4 he said, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto them, saying, this shall, be not, this shall not be thine heir, but he shall come forth out of thine own bowels, shall he uh, be thine heir. So he told him, hey, you're going to have a physical son. But then he tells him, and he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall I see to be. Now, he says, I'm, I'm not only going to give you a son, he said, I'm, only gonna, I'm also going to make you a great nation. He said, I'm not only going to give you a son, but I'm going to give you many descendants. But he puts the emphasis on the spiritual. God emphasizes his heavenly spiritual descendants who will exist because of his earthly physical descendants um, because obviously I'm not going to go through and preach it again but Jesus Christ was born of Abraham 
you know, Abra- the line of Abraham. Abraham had uh, Isaac and had Jacob, who had the uh, 12 sons of Israel, who became the 12 tribes of Israel, who was uh, out of Judah, King David, and out of David, you know, Jesus Christ. We have that, those lineages there in the Gospels. But because of Abraham's physical descendants, he was also able to have spiritual descendants. And God is telling him, hey, Abraham, you want a son? He said, I'm going to do you one better. He said, I'm not only going to give you a son. He said, I'm going to give you descendants. He said, I'm not just going to make you a nation physically. He said, I'm going to make you a nation spiritually. Look at verse 6. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, Genesis 15.6 is an interesting verse because it's quoted in Romans chapter number 4. Now, keep your finger there in Genesis 15 and go with me to Romans chapter number 4 and look at verse 1. Genesis 15.6 and look at Romans chapter number 4.1. Genesis 15.6 says this, And he believed in the Lord and he counted him for righteousness. Romans 4.1 says this, if you're in Romans in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans, Romans chapter number 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father has pertained the flesh hath found? Now Paul is speaking in Romans chapter number 4, and he's speaking about Abraham, and he said, What shall we say that Abraham our father has pertained to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath were up to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth in God, his faith is counted for righteousness. So you see there, the Bible says that God, that Abraham, was he justified by works? No, he was justified by faith. What saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. So what was counted unto Abraham for righteousness? The fact that he believed. What, what saved Abraham? You know, and we got to understand this about Abraham. Abraham had faith when he left the earth of the Chaldees. And he went to a land that he knew not where he was going. You know, he it took faith to do that. But that's not what saved Abraham. What saved Abraham's soul is the same thing that saved your soul when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And Abraham, the Bible says that he believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He was why? Because God just told him, hey, I'm going to give you a son, Abraham. Hey, you're going to have spiritual descendants, Abraham. Hey, the Messiah is going to come through your lineage, Abraham. And people are going to get saved because of the descendants that you're going to have because of Isaac and because he's the son of the promise. And Jesus Christ will come from that lineage. And many people will be saved. How many people? Uh, try to number the stars, Abraham. That many people. And Abraham, when he believed that, and he said, Hey, I believe that the Messiah is coming, and he's going to bring us salvation. God said, Hey, that faith just gave you righteousness. You know, don't let people try to tell you that in the Old Testament, people were saved by works. People, I've heard people say, in the Old Testament, people were saved by works. In the Old Testament, they have to follow the law. In the Old Testament, they have to do the sacrifices, or else they couldn't be saved. That's a lie. Abraham was saved by faith without the works of the law, is what the Bible says. Without the deeds of the law, is what the Bible says. And go back to Genesis 15, look at verse 7. Genesis 15 and verse 7. The Bible says, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees, to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? So he's asked this question, he says, Whereby will I know that I shall inherit it? How will I know that you're going to do this? Now look, is Abraham doubting here? He's not. The Bible just told us Abraham believed the Lord and it was confident in righteousness. So he's just more asking, he's saying, hey, can you uh, expound on this? He said, how do I know this is going to happen? And look at what God tells him to do. Look at Genesis 15, 9. And he said unto him, take me a heifer of three years old 
and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, of, and a pigeon. Now, before we move on, let's just talk about these for a little bit. You know, if you ever read the book of Leviticus, or you've studied this in the Bible, what do all these animals have in common? A heifer, a she-goat, a ram, a tur- you know, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Well, uh, you know, they, it is referring to them as all being females. That's a good, you know, I, that, that's, a, that's very good. I'm glad you got that. Um, they're also, th- you know, all, he's telling them to get them three years old. What they all have in common is these all are going to become the sacrifices that are sacrificed in the book of Leviticus. In Genesis 15, God gives them a list. He says, a heifer, a shego, a, a ram, he, a, a turtle dove, young pigeon, you know, stuff like that. These are the animals that eventually will become the sacrifices that are expounded upon in the book of Leviticus. So God tells them, hey, I want you to take these animals. Now you've got to understand, these animals, and I was going to do this, but it was going to take way too long. There's a reason why there's only three pages in the sermon. You know, because I decided to not do this. Because I was just going to go through Leviticus and show you all the sacrifices and what they meant about, like, the heifer, and about the ram, and about the, the, the shego, and about the turtle dove, and the young pigeon. And that would have taken way too long. I figure one of these days we're going to preach through Leviticus, so we'll do it at that point. But you got to understand this. These, these, these different animals cover a vast array of different types of sacrifices. And not only that, but they cover a vast array of different types of economic statuses. Because in the Bible, a lot of times, God would say, you know, I want you to sacrifice. He'd say, like, he'd, pick, he'd talk about one uh, sacrifice, like the burn sacrifice. And he said, sacrifice a heifer. But then he said, like, if you can't afford that, then do a ram. Or if you can't afford that, then do a turtle dove. You know, so if you're poor, you don't have to try to come up with the money to go buy a cow. You know, a cow could be expensive. If you're poor and you need to do a sacrifice, you could just go buy a pigeon. Or a turtle dove. So when God told Abraham to get all these animals, he's not only representing all sorts of different types of uh, sacrifices, and there were different sacrifices for different purposes. Some sacrifices were like a sin sacrifice. You were sacrificing for your sins. It was a representation of your salvation. And there were some sacrifices that were like, what I would consider like an innocent sacrifice. Um, I don't know if that's the right terminology. But it was a sacrifice for when you sinned in innocence. So you did something wrong, but you didn't know it was wrong. And then you found out later that, that you were doing something that was sinful. And then you would bring that sacrifice and say, hey God, I sinned. Because whether you know it or not, a sin is a sin. But you're telling them I sinned, but I was I didn't realize that that was a sin, and then there was a certain sacrifice for that. There was certain—I mean, there was a sacrifice you uh, gave if you just recently had a, a child. You know, there was different sacrifices for different reasons. But here's the thing about the sacrifices: they all portray a part of the sacrifice that Jesus did on Calvary. Every single one of the sacrifices shows us and teaches us a different section and a different part of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary. But not only that, when he showed him the heifer, and then he said also the pigeon and the turtle dove, he was saying, hey, I'm, I'm, the sacrifice is for everyone. You know, it's not just for those who can afford it. It's not just for the rich. He said the poor can do it too. He said anybody can do it. He said it doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you've got if you've got the means to do it or you don't have the means to do it. He said the sacrifice can be done by anybody. Why? Because anybody can be saved. And you got to keep the whole. You know, we had this huge argument with the Jehovah's Witness last week, or not last week, on yesterday. Brother Hudson and I. Brother Hudson was really the one arguing with her. I was trying to calm him down, and he just kept going at it. And I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> Brother Hudson was keeping his cool, but I was getting a little irritated. But um, 
we're having this conversation with this lady, you know, and she was saying, oh, you got to keep, you got to keep the scriptures in context. And I'm like, okay, we understand that. So explain it to me, you know, because we're showing her these verses. And anyway, that's a whole different sermon. But, um, you know, we got to understand this passage in context. God just told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. God just told Abraham, because of your son, there's going to come a Messiah from your loins. God just told Abraham, because of that Messiah, many people are going to be saved. How many people? Well, number the stars. That's how many people. And then God tells him, and then, and then Abraham follows up and says, and says, well, how do I know this is going to happen, God? How do I know you're going to, I'm going to inherit this land? How do I know that I am going to have all these kids? And how do I know that I am going to have this nation? How do I know that the Messiah is going to come? How do I know that all these people are going to be saved? And God says, here's how you know, Abraham. And he tells him, take a heifer. Take a she-goat. Take these animals. He said, I want you to kill them. Look at verse 10. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst. And laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. So Abraham takes these animals. And you guys, you know, we would just read these verses. You got to understand, he kills these animals. And then not only does he kill these animals, the Bible says he divides them. He cuts them in half. And the Bible says these, the bigger animals, he takes some and puts some on one side, and then he takes the other part of it and puts it on the other side. The only ones he didn't cut were the two, the turtle dove and the pigeon. I'm sure he just put one turtle dove on one side and one pigeon on the other side. But he kills these animals. Now you've got to keep in mind, Abraham is taking the life of animals. Abraham is getting bloody. Abraham is watching animals, the life of an animal flee. Now look, I've never performed a sacrifice and I'm not planning on it. I've never really, you know, but I, I, I would look forward to killing an animal. You say, you know, as much as I hate my dog, and I'm sorry, you know, I never want to kill my dog. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, 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 would, it, it would take something, and you've got to keep in mind, in the context, God is teaching Abraham. Abraham, because Abraham, what did Abraham say? God, you're my exceeding great reward. I want a son. And God says, I'm not only going to give you a son, He said, I'm going to give you a nation. I'm not only going to give you a nation, I'm going to bring the Messiah from that nation. I'm not only going to give you a Messiah, but I'm going to get many people saved because of that Messiah. And then God tells him, but it comes with a cost, Abraham. And I'm sure as Abraham was taking that heifer, and as the tradition would be there in Leviticus, he put his hand on the head of the heifer, I'm sure maybe that's how he did it, and he'd take a knife and he'd uh, cut the throat of that heifer and let the blood pour out till it died. I'm sure as he watched the life of that animal leave it, and as he watched the animal, as he cut it up, and as the blood got on his hands, as the blood got on his body, as he cut up, and I'm sure he cut the limbs off, and I'm sure he cut the head off, I'm sure he cut the meat off, and he started taking uh, the different pieces of this cow, and he started dividing it, I'm sure as he brought these animals, one by one by one, and cut them up, and watched the life go out of them, and watched the blood pour out of them, Abraham was starting to understand the plan that God had, because yes, Abraham I'm going to give you a Messiah. Yes, Abraham, many people are going to be saved. But yes, Abraham, it's going to happen as a sacrifice. It's going to happen because this Messiah is going to die. It's going to happen because this Messiah is going to have the life taken from him. It's going to happen because this Messiah is going to have the blood drained from him. And that's what I believe God is trying to teach Abraham. Look at verse 11. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety. This is God speaking to Abraham. Abraham is sleeping. He has this great horror of darkness fall upon him. And look, I'd have a great horror of darkness fall upon me too. If I had all these dead animals around me and I'm falling asleep, you know, in the wilderness or wherever he's at. 
And the Bible says in verse, uh, what verse are we in? Verse 15. And he said unto Abraham, Know ye of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. Now, Genesis 14.13 is a prophecy of the, Egypt, of the Israelites going down into Egypt and being enslaved for 400 years. The Bible later tells us the specific number was 430 years. God just rounded down. He, you know, he decided to do that, which is fine. I mean, even mathematically you can do that. If it's three, you know, you go down. But um, he, it was 430 years, the Bible tells us. But they were there for 400 years. They were, you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, you gotta, you got to remember, Abraham asked, asked God a specific question. He said, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? When Jacob went down with his family into Egypt, the Bible tells us that he went down with 70 souls. Okay, 70 souls is not enough to uh, take over the land of Canaan. But when they came out of Egypt 430 years later, they came out with millions of souls. They came out with millions of people. Because in Egypt was really the place where they became a nation. Because they, if you remember, they started multiplying. And the Egyptians started watching their multiplication. And the Egyptians were like Americans are today, you know, popping all these birth control pills and not having children. And they were afraid that the Israelites were going to outnumber them. So they started enslaving them. And they started killing them. But while they were in slavery, that's when they became a nation. So God 